Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we're doing something a little different. We've got Tom, the anti-equity advisor, Clausen, who's the principal of True Viking Finance. And we've got Scott, skin in the game, Sinclair, who's the president of Sinclair Range. What we're gonna do today is debate debt versus equity for your business. This is about how to capitalize your company. So if you're an owner or a manager and you need capital, this episode's for you. So today we're gonna hear from two experts. We're gonna have a debate on this and I'm looking forward to it. I wanna start with equity. That seems to be the place to go when companies are looking to raise money. Scott, you are Scott Skin in the Game Sinclair. So tell us about equity, why it's your preferred way to finance, and some of the points there. Uh, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thanks, Corey. Equity is giving up part ownership of your business in exchange for cash. And you do that by, by selling shares predominantly. And those shares can be different types of shares, different classes of shares. They can have different bells and whistles and attributes about them. But at the end of the day, you're bringing in a partner, you're giving out ownership of your business. You can have many different types of investors. I think one of the misconceptions for those not experienced in the equity industry is everybody thinks of, you know, angel investors, venture capital investors, private equity investors, all of which would fall under the financial equity investor. But there's also strategic equity investors and that you're looking for partners or investors that are not just interested in a financial return, but have some sort of strategic benefit to being aligned with your business. And that could be a customer, could be a supplier, could be someone in a similar business, even competitive, but in a different geographical region, could be another business that combined with yours, there would be some sort of synergy, one plus one equals three. Think of you have a great product, but no distribution, and somebody else has great distribution, but no product or a product that's not as good as yours. Put those two things together, create a lot of value. Employees to the business would be strategic in terms of creating equity. And a third way to, to create equity would be what I would just call personal, investing in your own business, reducing your pay, retaining your earnings instead of taking those big bonuses out and reinvesting in yourself, having some skin in the game which is why we came up with that name. So those would be the types of equity investment and whether equity is always a better solution than debt. It just depends on a lot of things, the size of the company, the track record of the company. Are you revenue or pre-revenue? Do you have assets or are you asset light? Volatility in your historical cash flow versus stability in your historical cash flow. A big one would be the value of your equity today versus what you think the value of your equity would be at the exit when you know the, the investor is cashing out. So to me, the bottom line is debt is more risky because it has a priority position over your business and it has a fixed expense, whereas equity could be more expensive. I'm sure Tom will bring that up, 
but I think there's some caveats to that as well. So that's like my 90 second overview of what gotcha. equity is. Now, Tom, before you weigh in, as I see you putting up your dukes, I want to, uh, to just get a quick summary from Scott, why you've chosen to focus on equity and it's your, your preferred path with raising capital. Because I think Tom's position on debt is ridiculous. And so someone had to push back on him a little bit. Look at every company should have a capital structure that is appropriate to their business, to their size of business, to their stage of business, to their industry, right? And a capital structure properly includes some secured debt, some unsecured debt, and some equity, right? If you're an equity investor, you want your portfolio company to have some amount of leverage, right? Otherwise, your equity returns are not going to be what they ought to be. But that doesn't mean, you know, the original start of this was that Tom wrote a post on LinkedIn that called equity investors uh, sharks and vultures and some other animal that I don't recall at the moment. You know, there's a real role for equity. And often, it is better solution than debt. But in the end, every company needs a proper capital structure. I think we're going to talk about that towards the end of this show. So I won't jump on that too much. Let's go over to Tom here. I think this all started bringing you two in together with some rock throwing of Tom's of sorts. So there was some name calling, as I understand. Tom, I want to know your thoughts on equity and why debt is what you have to say about that. I disagree with Scott and everything he says. You know, it's and he's right. You know, he's wiggled his way out of it where he can say things like depends on the structure and the business and whether you're small or big and all that other stuff. But, you know, when he goes into, oh, yes, you find an equity investor who who matches your synergies, who, you know, is a supplier to your manufacturing line, has a conduit like that's like trying to find the perfect mate. You know, that's like going out there trying to find a wife or a husband. And how difficult is that? And, yeah, when you find it, you know it and everything like that. But that's you don't get married until, you know, it fits. Right. So it's. So the equity game and searching for that perfect partner, investor, shareholder, whatever you talk about, that's a difficult dance. And it's something that you do all the time, right? But but if you're a business owner and you're dedicated to focusing on the one thing, which is your business growing, succeeding, you want to be dating people. You want to be spending all your time, you know, searching for the perfect partner and being led down the garden path. And then, you know, and it could turn out, How many marriages fail? 50%. How many partnerships do you think fail? I'm going to say 99.9, right? Because two people never follow the same path. They always diverge somewhere and differences. And, you know, my standing is, you know, one business owner, you can do it. You can do it yourself. Maintain control and grow your business using the tools that are available And having non-equity partners, you know, the best debt lender, you know, Scott makes debt sound like it's something, you know, ooh, it's risky. It's not. I mean, risk is taken by the lender. They're lending you money, you know. You go, yeah, I give them collateral. Yeah, but nobody wants to recover on your collateral. Nobody wants to take, you know, sue you and and have to take your mortgage. I mean, you know, the right debt arrangement is one where both parties win, where they're, it's, it's a non-equity partnership. You know, there's bad lenders out there, and I'll tell you that, and that's, you know, Scott's got a good point. There are some nasty lenders, but there's even worse. Tom, the chains of debt are too light to be felt. 
until they are too heavy to be broken. Warren, Warren Buffett. Buffett. Warren Buffett. Are you arguing with Warren Buffett, Tom? <laughs> before we debate debt, okay. before we debate debt, I want to bring it back to equity. I want to bring it back to the fact that equity has proven to work. It's part of our capitalist structures when we go out to build businesses. Scott, can you get a little deeper on points of where it works, where bringing in partners works versus going after debt? and perhaps things that you need to to be aware of or look out for. Sure. Let me give you an interesting little factoid that uh, Tom likely knows, and I know because of our relative uh, ages, but many of you young professionals out there listening to this may have no idea that this was the case. In August 1997, Microsoft invested in Apple at the time that Apple was going under, facing significant difficulties in the PC market, And Microsoft invested $150 million in non-voting preferred stock in equity of Apple to save Apple. They did so at the time because Gates thought that being the only player in the PC market was bad for the industry as a whole, and that Microsoft would be better off as a strategic investment to save Apple so that collectively they could grow the industry. And also, true, they got a lawsuit dropped against them by Apple at the same time. So there was a bit of a a settlement to that. It's an example where when a company is in trouble, they go to a strategic investor, strategic equity player, and they were able to bring in some money and save their business and look at where they're at now. Both of them look at where they are at now. I always think that's an interesting story that younger professionals and younger owner managers, entrepreneurs, they won't have known that because it's from ancient history, but they know the players from today. So I always think that's fascinating. To answer your question directly, look, there's a lot of times when a business needs capital that debt's not available. Okay. Now, Tom's a pretty creative guy in getting debt and as is Sinclair Range. And so it's often more available than you might think it is as a business owner, but it's not always available. And equity is the right way to go. Often you can bring in debt only if you have some sort of matching or amount of equity that goes along with it. So you need that sort of combination, that balanced capital structure. As I said before, what if you're pre-revenue, right? What if you're looking for the VC market? Well, you can't get that with debt, right? What if you're just frankly overvalued? I was listening to a pitch. I'm a part of an investor group. I was listening to a pitch a couple of days days ago, and this group, uh, this team of people in the US developed a a really cool app or platform. I won't tell you what it's for. I don't want to disclose any of their information. But the bottom line is they're pre-revenue. And they spent $450,000 so far building their technology. And they're trying to raise $2 million. And they valued their business at $10 million right now. So bottom line is you got $10 million post money. So you got 20% of the business if you invested $2 million into this thing that has no customers, no users, no revenue, no established basis for the $10 million. Yet people want to give them money in equity, right? They've got this whole Series A, Series B, this whole you know, VC way of raising money in mind. And it works. Like, why would you not do that? Right. From a cost of capital perspective. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, you know, a a great instance where debt is just not available to a company that needs to be investing in their product, their marketing and their sales and not interest, not paying back interest. And nobody's going to lend to a company that's hemorrhaging cash. That's where you got the high risk investor. So if we move over to debt, I want to get Tom's points here. Uh, Tom, in 90 seconds or less, 
Tell us what debt is and why it's your preferred way to finance companies. Debt is kind of simple, you know, and, you know, Scott's got some good points. I mean, if you're a dream, you know, if, you're, if your business is an idea or a dream or some sort of an app or something like that, your pre-revenue, your, if you can get people <laughs> to invest in that, you know what? That's fantastic. Way to go. You know, that's brilliant, you know, but what we're talking about, if you're not a high tech flying, highfalutin, AI, Bitcoin, something, nobody's paying attention to you. You know, you got a manufacturing company, a distribution company, a B2B service company, somebody that's, you know, you go, hey, I've got this great manufacturing program and I'm going to these products and everything. Eh, forget about those guys because those investors that invest in that high tech pie in the sky stuff, they're looking for at least 10 times or, or maybe hundreds of times return at the end. So they can invest, they can throw their money around. I mean, these equity markets are nothing but a, a game. And, you know, as soon as you, if you are a business owner and you own a business, and as soon as you say, hey, I'm going to use equity to raise money, you have to report every single thing that you do from then on in for the rest of that life of that business. And, I mean, I thought you were going to ask me about some failures. I mean, I've seen people I've seen it hundreds of times, worked with business owners to grow their business, to help them. And I bring them the tools and they go, Tom, I, I'm not going to need you anymore because I'm bringing on these investors. And I go, hey, great. See you later. I'm glad I could get you here. Right. And then eight months later, they're calling me going, hey, Tom, oh, my God, I'm going to start again. Those bastards just bought me out of my business. They said I was taking money inappropriately and spending it here and there. So then they voted me out. I'm going to start over again and I'm going to I'm only going to use you. I'm only going to use debt, right? And I go, hey, but that's where I'm getting my experience from, on the ground, boots on the ground. We're not talking. I think the listeners here are hopefully not. I hope they're business people, real businesses, you know, pre-revenue, revenue, right? you got an idea. you got to be able to generate some revenue. Once you've generated some revenue, now you can borrow some money. Now you can buy an asset to add to that. Now you can grow your business. Yeah, it, it's not overnight. It's not you know, super high return. It's, Jesus, old-fashioned hard work. Boy, I got to work my business and focus on sales and gross margin and cash flow. Wow, that's terrible, isn't it? No, that's business. What Scott's selling with the equity markets is nothing. You don't have to do a thing. These guys call me all day long. Hey, Tom, I got this great investment. You got to sign an NDA. I go, dude, you know, you got no revenue. You got nothing, you know, so you got to get real. You got to get real. Understanding that early stage businesses, I mean, they really only have equity as an opportunity. No. Uh, but bring us back to debt. No. Bring us back to debt, why that is a preferred way to finance. Because, oh, the best thing about debt is you can pay it off and they go away. How much do we owe you? Write a check, bang, they're gone forever. Move your lien, say goodbye. There's what we call, you know, different stages of lenders, right? You got your D and your C and your B and your A lenders, right? You got to know you start at the bottom. Yes, you're paying a little more. You're doing a little bit, you know, you're putting up some collateral, something rather. But eventually, as you generate that sales, as you generate that free cash, you can know the best source of money is the stuff that you make and keep in the business, right? It's the supplier credit, the credit that you establish from your suppliers. It's, yeah, if you can get people to invest in you, Difference between an investor and a shareholder, right? Scott knows that. And he alluded to that in his opening statement about all these gray areas of different kinds of, you know, uh, convertible debt and preferred shares. And, oh, yeah, there's layer upon layer of that. 
And beware, you know, if you don't know any, everything about equity markets, why would you play in it? You know, stick to your guns and make some money. Before we hand it over to Scott, you've given us a point on on debt being... You're not even passing mustard with the moderator, Tom. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tom, before I hand it over to Scott, you've landed that you can pay the debt back and you can walk away, but there's got to be more to it. Give me a couple other points of why debt is a preferred way or the advantages of debt financing. You know exactly how much it costs ahead of time, right? You know what the monthly payments are, right? You now can put that in your projections. You know, you can now calculate that when you're trying to price your product, you can include the cost of financing right down to the fine letter, right? And then if you do it right, as you borrow and pay back. Next time you borrow more and you pay back more, then you borrow more. And then that's how you grow debt and you grow your business and your access to working capital. You know, I tell these people, I says, yeah, right now I'm going to have trouble getting you a lender. You suck. You haven't paid your CRA. You're not really up to date in your financials and this and all that. But, you know, once I show you how to do it and do it right, the lenders will be coming after you. You know, you get proper financial statements. You're showing profits, you're showing collateral, you're showing equity. Wow. Next thing you know, they're coming after you. And I hate to say it, our banking systems are not great because they have such a high, uh, you know, OSFI rules. They can't lend in, but there are lots and plenty of tools available to help non-bankable and pre-bankable businesses of all sizes. Gotcha. Now, Scott, if you feel like laying in there, please, uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Well, I have a small list. I would like to start by going back maybe five, 10 minutes and pointing out that if you have a bunch of secured debt, that you also cannot spend money inappropriately and take off with it. That is also going to promise you problems. That's there's, you know, loan contracts that kind of deal with that sort of stuff. And so that's not an apples to apples comparison. You know, Tom raised a good point about bringing in an equity partner and having failures and the failure rate is really high. I would only say I compared that to a marriage of which I'm, you know, a multi-time expert. So I, I feel like I've succeeded on that front. Not too many multi-times. Here's some stats for you. You know, there's off the top of my head in the US, 600,000 new businesses per month, call it over 6 million a year, like there's an astonishing number of new business licenses. Granted, 90% of those businesses will never, ever, 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 ever pay their founder a living wage. Like the failure rate is astronomical. And there's different ways to define failure, but 90% of them will never, ever pay a living wage. And of the 10% that do, 80% of those also fail to create any sort of intergenerational wealth. In other words, they never create value right and and that value that's transferable to somebody else so that you can then you know do some estate planning and pay for your kids to go to college and pay off your mortgage like so only 2% of new businesses ever get to that stage the statistical reality of business is failure it's failure and so you can't just look at an equity product and say well you know a lot of people are unhappy with their partners i bet you those partnerships would be a lot better if the business was succeeding and the investor was making money. And I will tell you that if you're failing and you have a lender, a secured lender, well, that secured lender ranks ahead of you. They don't rank the same as you, like in your equity, they rank ahead of you. 
And when it hits the fan, they're the ones driving the bus. And there's very little that you can do about it. Tom, you and I know in this country and south of the border in the U.S., where a lot of my audience is, you and I know tons of professionals that make a great living in insolvency, bankruptcy, restructuring, all those communities, bankers that are in special loans, right? We know tons of those people. It's a big, big industry. Did you know that none of that would exist without debt? Like, literally, none of that industry would exist. Uh, yeah, you're right. Without I guess debt. so, yeah. Debt is the cause of all problems. The entire point of the Bankruptcy Act is to deal with debt. You can't okay. use that analogy. In any country. That's the point. It's like, like saying that they have surgery offices because of people <laughs> need surgery. I mean, you know what? No, 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 no. People go bankrupt, yes. What is the common cause of business failure? 80% of failures are due to cash flow, lack of working capital, to not pre-planning, not having understanding of your working capital needs ahead of time and understanding what the debt tools that are available to you and how they work and what they cost. And, you know, you talk about skin in the game. That's a funny name, Scott. Like skin in the game is what, what people say, oh, I, I got a, you got a pre-revenue business and I'd like to borrow some money. And I go, well, you know, do you have some personal assets to that you leverage so that somebody sees that you've got some skin in the game? You know what I'm saying? Like that's skin in the game. You know, these guys that flash around money and just invest in large number of people. You talked about success, Scott, and that is the real scary part. Those two people, those businesses that succeed and they've already diluted equity and brought in those investors, guess what happens? You know, that's what sharks do. And by the way, congratulations, Sharks Week, right? So I know you and your family are watching a lot of TV and I'm wearing this shark shirt here. It's all these swarming sharks, right? But what happens, you know, there's a difference between sharks, vultures, and dragons, right? This is He's talking about the article. Sharks, as soon as a business starts getting successful, what they do is they like to bite into a little business, buy a little piece, right? If things get bad, yeah, but if things get good, you start watching them swarm around, right? They, hey, hey, things are going good. Hey, sales are good. Hey, I just noticed you got a contract with, uh, hey, do you need any more money? You want any more money? You get more money? And then other sharks start gathering around. They all take a bite. Next thing you know, they all join together and then they're rope, right? They go, it's, it's like that. It's literally like that. A dragon is somebody who goes. That doesn't, that doesn't even make any sense. You're assuming the entrepreneur is forced to take this extra you know, money. Cash flow problems make bad decision makers out of business owners. And, you know, once the shark is in there, once you've already given away 5% of your business, let's say, you know, what's another 5%, you know, what's another 10%? And everybody thinks it's 51 is the magic number. It's not, you know, I mean, there's guys, I said, what percentage of the ownership of your business do you have? 37%. I go, well, but my uncle, he's got the other 14%. I'm going, you have lost control of your business. If I were to support you a little bit on that, Tom, I don't think it's the investor that causes that problem, but it is a real problem. The reason it happens is that entrepreneurs that are building what turns out to be a successful business figured out that three years ago, they should not have been talking about equity as percentages and given 30% to their first key hire and 20% to their next business development guy and 10%. Pretty soon they figure out that 100% is, you know, finite. And, and that's where they get into trouble. 
And you just, in the tech business, you just see that over and over and over again, right? And so I always advise clients on that side of things. Every time you're talking about percentage, you're a fool. You need to talk about economics. I want to hire you. I want to bring you in as a key person, early stage. What in your dream world is the compensate? How much money would you make out of this? Okay, $5 million. Just making up a number. All right, well, five years from here, now here's our valuation. Here's how many shares you would have to you know, have to get that $5 million bogey. Well, it turns out it's, you know, 300,000 shares making up numbers, but that's a really small percentage of it. You know what I mean? These entrepreneurs that just start handing out percentages, they get themselves in exactly that position. It's not because some angel came along and said, here's a hundred grand and you end up with X percent of the company. I just want to make a point here from Scott, what you're saying. And I think Tom, this will support debt. If you go down a path too far as using equity to finance your company before you know it, you've only created yourself a job working for investors. You haven't created yourself a generational wealth generating asset. The point being is if you give away too much of your company, you end up there with a small percentage and potentially not the payout or the control you need. That's where I can see where equity can go wrong and debt can come in to be the tool to counter that. So you think that if you bring money in at fair value, that dilutes you at fair value, that that's a bad trade? No, no, I've been diluted. I'm not saying that, that it's a bad trade, but I'm saying that if it's not done properly, you can find yourself going from being an entrepreneur to being somebody who's just basically running a company. That I, I would argue, I know you put this to Tom, but I just want to say that to me, this is entirely a valuation discussion. For example, I buy troubled businesses for a living. Okay. He's a vulture. That's a, that's a different I do kind, that. right? That's a third kind. I do that with as much debt as humanly possible, okay, when I own the business. Because the valuation of that business is zero by definition. It's an insult, insolvent business after I bought it, right? So if I want to raise a million dollars, I would have to give them the whole company plus a million dollars. Like mathematically, <laughs> that's what I would have to do to get in that position. It just makes no sense. And I think the value of the business is going to go to, you know, way up here, the X. So I don't want to share in that if I can get the debt, right? But on the other hand, if I'm a good, stable, cash-flowing business, like with a, a, a historical EBITDA, and I can do a proper valuation, or I'm high growth, and I can raise money at a great valuation for equity, why would I not be doing that? To me, this is all a valuation discussion. Valuation is absolutely Let's it. Let's use this, actually. No, you're right. The two components to have valuation, I mean, the strictest is, uh, you know, EBITDA and the multiple. And the multiple is what you can work on. And the EBITDA is, you know, the value of a business today that's in the midst of growing and about to achieve based on that valuation. Eh, it's a pittance compared to what it would be worth in the future with the success and with good management and growth and everything. So what you sell your equity for today is just a, you know, Scott's trying to sell the future value of this business. But the reality is that buyers of businesses, you know, they're looking at the valuation of it today. And that's what I say to people. That's why equity is so expensive, because if you think in your mind that if you believe in your business and you think you're going to be to a hundred million dollar business, then you know, you start thinking like it is already a $100 million business, but really it's not. And then when you sell the equity, you're giving up, imagine what the value of it is when you get there compared to what you're giving up now, you know, 10% today. And so 
that's why these equity, that's why everybody's playing in this game is to get that valuation at the end. You know, I always ask my clients, what is your exit strategy? And if it is an equity takeout, if it is a merger, it is an acquisition in five years or something like that growth, you know, it's not as painful to give up equity today, you know. But if your business is to, uh, you know, my goal, my exit strategy is to grow this business into a $10 million business that supports a lot of people and that maybe I can build up wealth from it and, and hand to my children and create. That's really the only way these, you know, entrepreneurs can make money nowadays with real estate the way it is. You've got to start a business, grow a business and grow it into a $10 million business, you know. And to get there and to own it all at the end of $10 million, that's the goal. Now you are wealthy and happy and now you can survive. That is, to me, if your extra strategy is to, you know, hey, I'll, I'll pump and dump this. You know, I hate to use those terms, but, you know. I think that's a different topic. But what I want to use is I want to move on into actually talking about hybrid solutions of mixing debt and equity. And, and I want to actually use Scott's focus on going and buying insolvent businesses with as much debt as possible. To frame up this, because what we're going to do is bring us together here, because I think we both know that there's the way to build real businesses is with debt and equity. But Scott, can you lay the foundation for us? If we're looking at a business, arbitrary numbers or exact examples that you have of how you would use debt to recapitalize and build an otherwise insolvent business and bring it back to being a success. Many times over 30 years with clients that we were advising that were financially troubled, we would use what Tom might call the high yield debt market. Because let's say we owe the, I'm just going to make up numbers. We owe the current bank 6 million and they want out or there's going to be a receiver put in because debt drives the bus when you're in trouble. And You want a little bit of extra working capital. And if you can go to this specialty market, of which I'm an expert and Tom is an expert as well. Correct, Tom? I want to give you creative marketing. Yeah, no, no. Some props there. We want to compliment your way. No, no, no. I'm bad. Thank you. In the high yield debt market. And let's say, let's say on an asset based type loan, I could get 8 million. Okay. And I could get 8 million. I could use six of it to pay off my old bank. And I have $2 million excess availability with which to implement my turnaround, which by definition means uh, affecting change. And change costs money. Everything you do costs money. And so if you can't have a little bit of working capital, you might as well just go home because you just you need to have access to capital. Now, that market today might be 12, 13% interest yield, okay, on that debt. You know, in the 90s, early 2000s, we're paying like 18%, 21% on that debt. And there's Tom would say that there's some products that are much more than that. If you get into some weirder, unusual stuff in Canada. But, you know, I used to say to a client back in the 18% days, I said, you know, if you're borrowing $10 million and you're currently paying 8% and we could take that out and save your business and pay 18%, well, that's a 10% one-year fee on $10 million is a million dollar fee to save your business with no dilution whatsoever. And when you express it that way, everybody goes, yeah, I would pay a million dollars to have a chance to save my business with no dilution. It's a fantastic product for that. Because if you wanted to go back to my original example, I know I'm mixing my examples and therefore making the numbers confusing, but if you go back and you needed to pay that bank $6 million and your company's insolvent, 
like how much equity do you have to give up to get that $6 million? And the answer is probably all of it, or it's just not a doable deal at all. Okay. And so that's why we use debt for that. Now I bought two years ago now, an automotive manufacturing company in Quebec, Sinclair Range bought that company. And we bought it out of uh, what's called in Canada, a CIS process, a sales investment solicitation process out of a uh, receivership sale. Okay. And I bought that 100% with debt. The purchase price was 100% debt. But since then, I've put in, I don't even know, five, six, eight million dollars of cash into this business as equity. Okay. Because we maxed out that debt. Right. So now we have, we talked about a capital structure right off the top of this. Now we have that mix of debt and equity. And I knew we were going to get there. To be honest, I didn't know we were going to get this far into it, but I knew we were going to get there. And, you know, so there's an example of a transaction and an example where we use debt a lot. And because we're probably the top turnaround advisor in the country, not insolvency trustees, but like helping companies that are in trouble, we use debt all the time. The truth goes, if you go back 30 years over my businesses, we've made much more money in fees off of placing debt than we have of equity because we work in that turnaround space. So there's an honest disclosure about that. But the idea that there's no place for equity and that there's not times when equity is dead on the right solution and some of the objections being raised against equity, like cost of capital, I think is just a complete red herring and that you're stuck with this partner issue. I'm not buying that either. So that's the essence of my argument today. Okay. Tom, what do you have to say about this? I think Scott just, he gave you my answer, really. I mean, he, and I'm saying this with respect. I mean, you know, there is room for sharks, dragons, and vultures. There really is. But what Scott just told us is that he comes into a trouble business and says, let me take over for you. Let me find you a debt solution. Let me solve your cash flow working capital problem. You have messed up. Why don't you give me a chance? And most business owners, right at that point, they're so they're lost. They don't know what to do. They're tired of it. They, you know, and it happens. It's a lot of it's happening right now. I don't really know want my business anymore. You know, I'm telling them what they need to do in order to acquire the debt in order to, you know, start their own turnaround. But Scott comes in and says, "Hey, for a piece of your business, you give me a little piece of your business, or you know, a big chunk, then I will, I will introduce to you the kind of debt that you need that'll turn your business around." Now, I'm, I'm saying there's, I'm not no, accusing. No, no, I, I did just need to interject. No, no, no. I just want to clarify that we do that. Our primary business has been doing that on an advisory basis for a, a shared fee, not for taking equity. Others, others, okay. others. So you when know, we've been a term- that is that's one, wonderful. Yeah, no, no, Scott. The reason I'm doing this thing with Scott, there's nobody else I would do it with, and he is the top guy in Canada. And you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and we're you know, Scott and I are talking. We're talking about debt is more than just. No, $10 million loan. There's short-term working capital. There's factoring of receivables. There's a purchase order financing, inventory financing, all sorts of secured lines of credit, unsecured lines of credit, uh, all these government grants. There's money galore. And those who know where to get debt should be sharing with the business owners, right? And, and that's what we're saying is, I'm saying, in my all the information I have is explore your debt options before you consider equity, you know, equity is a last resort. It, it is, it's there. It's, it's one of those things, you know, it's just like, uh, it's required because, you know, 
to get ventures off the ground that may be a pre-revenue and all that other good stuff. And if it can grow to a certain size, hey, everybody wins if it's successful. And and there's plenty of people willing to take that gamble. I guess there's a lot of money out there. What I'd summarize there is that with with equity, there's a time and a place. And it can be expensive and so can debt, but there's a proper mix. And I think it's something to that all entrepreneurs, managers, and company operators really need to be aware of is, is both sides of this equation. Tom, I like the, the point on debt that you, there's multiple ways to find debt. It's not just going to a lender. It could be receivables, financing. And Scott, to your point, there's multiple ways to access equity through direct-to-investor, through a partner, through different means there. Now, just walk us through, and maybe we could, could aim to wrap up here if we're thinking about final thoughts for entrepreneurs and management teams about equity. Scott, what do you have there? What should be considered when going down the equity path? Well, I don't think we've really jumped with both feet into this whole cost of capital issue. Like, did you want to discuss that? Let's, let's, I think okay, that's let's, an important yep. part. I have two sides of that. And Tom said earlier in this conversation, slash battle, that you know exactly what you're paying with debt. And that is true. Okay, with debt, you have a contract says you're going to pay, if it's a high yield product today, let's just make this up 12% annually. There's going to be a $2,500 a quarter monitoring fee or a min fee. You got to pay for this audit and that audit. And you can add that all up and you know pretty much exactly what your interest slash fees are going to be over the term of that debt instrument. Okay. And so that is true. And then the natural way of thinking is that equity is way more expensive. And what I always find with the business owners, entrepreneurs that are looking to raise equity is they have one of two ways of thinking about it. They think it's like free. There is no cost of equity, right? So they're, <laughs> they think that and Tom, you probably see that all the time. Ah, it's cool. I brought in a partner, cost me nothing, right? Or they think, my goodness, it's so expensive. The dilution is so much. I can't possibly think about doing this because I lose ownership of my business. And both of those things could be true or neither of those things could be true in reality. And if you don't mind, Corey, if we just talk for like five minutes or three minutes here about what value really is, the what cost of capital really is. Because the way that you ought to be thinking about the cost of equity is not that it's a cost, but rather it's a sharing of the change in value from the day you place the equity to the day you exit the equity. You're sharing in that change of value, if any, okay? So our listeners understand what value is. Theoretically, okay, value is what we call, as evaluator, perspective in nature, meaning it's forward-looking. What happened in the past doesn't matter. Your historical EBITDA doesn't matter. Nothing matters from the past. It's what's going to happen in the future. It's how much money in the future, as an owner of this business, can I put in my pocket discounted for time and discounted for risk. That by definition is what value is. It's a discounting of future cash flow for time and risk. Well, what is that risk? What numbers you put on that? Well, that is theoretically the cost of capital. Okay. And that for equity could be 20%, could be 30%, could be 40%, sort of depending on your a million things. But let's say for a lot of businesses in that range of 20, 30, 40%. Okay. That by definition is value. And by definition, that discount rate is your cost of capital for equity. But because I just explained to you that it's all forward-looking, five years from now, when it's time to do the exit, well, you have the benefit of hindsight and reality. 
right? You don't have to rely on a projection and your actual cost of capital may turn out to be totally different. If the business really succeeds, it may have been a lot more than 30%, right? But if the business doesn't succeed, it may be a lot less than 30%. So just as a theoretical, hypothetical example on that, let's say you raised $10 million, you gave up 25% of your business, and in there was an implied cost of capital of 30%. Just you did your DCF model, you discounted for 30%, and you come up with a pre-money valuation of 30 million plus the 10 is a 40 million post-money, you give up 25% of your business. Well, that 25% is way more expensive than Tom's, say, 30% cost of capital. is way more expensive than Tom's 10%, right? But now five years from now, what happens if the business didn't meet those projections? And we already talked about the statistics of business failure. Like the stats are, you're not going to beat that projection. Wish you all the luck in the world. Hope you do it. You know, venture capital investment funds, they're looking for 20% of their portfolio to pay all of the returns and to cover the other 80% of the portfolio, which return nothing. They either go bust or they just bump along for a long time and return nothing. Those are the stats, okay? And you can't argue with the stats. That's just what they are. So what if you don't meet those projections? What if five years from now, you're able to sell this business for $40 million. In other words, you had no growth whatsoever. You brought in the $10 million, so you had a post-money valuation of 40. Five years later, you sell the business for 40. You didn't go to zero. The equity investor got their $10 million back, and you got $30 million in your pocket. Your cost of capital was zero in reality with hindsight. Okay, If you had a debt instrument instead, your cost of capital it may not have mattered because you may have triggered a default, right? And you may have been into a death spiral relating to that. That's a terrible choice of words. That's more of a securities thing. But you understand what I'm trying to say. So the point being, don't think of the cost of capital of equity as being nothing. Don't think of it as being astronomical. Think of it as being a sharing of the change in value from today to when you exit. That's, with hindsight, literally what it is. Okay? And... And arguably what I'm hearing here is that if that sharing in value is is huge in the end, like the value of the company sold is 100 million, 200 million, the cost of your capital is higher, but you're still sharing in a larger pie. Yeah. And debt on the other side is something that could reduce that cost of capital if you're able to sustain and maintain that. In that scenario where the company just skyrocketed it's worth $100 million. Mathematically, with hindsight, if you had a bunch of debt, instead of diluting yourself with equity, you'd be way richer, right? Because the debt is not participating in that growth. It's just paying out as 10%. And all the rest of the growth goes to you as a shareholder, okay? That's the thing. But what if there's a bump in the road? And I'm here to tell you, there's always a bump in the road. Apple had to go to Microsoft to get $150 million because they had a bump in the road and look at where they are today. If you have a bump in the road and it's a serious bump in the road, that debt instrument can put you down. They can. Doesn't mean they want to. Doesn't mean they're trying to take your home. Doesn't mean anything nefarious or conspiracy, but they can. They drive the bus. Your equity partner does not drive that bus. Okay? So the beginning of this was it really just comes down to risk. Versus sharing of the the pie 
down the road. Okay. Scott, I appreciate that. I thought it was, it's a great way to start to summarize and close off our, our discussion, our debate, our bout here. Tom, do you have anything to add to that? Anything you want to build on and, and help us close off our, our interview here? No, I mean, it's very inspiring. I mean, you know, Scott is brilliant at what he does. And so what I was saying earlier is his perception is nine-tenths of reality, right? So whatever you perceive the value of your business is going to be, and if you can convince somebody else of that same vision, then you can begin, you know, you can raise a lot of money. And that's what equity players do. They say, hey, don't look at the what's here now. You know, don't look at the fact that, you know, we're negative 5 million deficit net worth, you know, that we've spent every penny that we've raised from all these investors and we have yet to turn a profit or even increase. Those things happen all the time and that money just disappears. And people I'm talking about, you know, the, the individual who wants to start a business and grow a business and become as big as those guys, right? Like, how do you get there? And you don't get there by giving up any equity at the beginning. Believe me, no matter what Scott says, you cannot expect to control that business if you give up equity. I get people coming all the time. It's I've got some partners. I, well, now you've got to include your partners in that decision making. The number in the debt world is somewhere around 10%. If you can keep your equity dilution down below a certain number, you can call them silent partners. But getting into any larger amounts, now any debt lender says, hey, who's this 25% partner? Oh, that's just, that's my big guy. He gave me some money, you know, bring him on. He is going to be part of the decision-making process now in, in, in acquiring you the debt, right? He's part of that process. So you... And I've had those, I says, I can present, got just the perfect answer for you. You can do some receivable financing, we'll do some purchase order financing, inventory, get you the cash flow. But the guy that owns 25% of the business says, no, you know what? I'll just give you half a million bucks. That should do, right? And you're going to give me some of this, you're going to need some of that. Or, or they'll go, how much is that debt costing you? Oh, 2% a month? Oh, my God, that's ridiculous. I'll give you the money for... 2% a month, right? So you can't, you don't want those guys inside your business even having to, you know, what the phone call? Hey. <laughs> I, what I'm hearing here, Tom, is the absolute of the anti equity. Totally. I appreciate what you're saying there. I think there are good lessons. I think it is actually that's a point that I'm taking away late in this episode is that if you have equity investors in there somebody a lender can say hey they need to either sign personal guarantees or whatever it is so there's there's hooks on both sides of this these are things we have to be no but on the other side you can work with uh, even if there's some equity dilution right before there's too much and scott's brilliant at this he leverages debt and equity right to use them both at the same time requires uh skill and scott's brilliant at that and so he uses debt uh, quite wisely and often, and all these tools, are, so he can hang on to his equity, right? So he doesn't have to further dilute. He gets in there, and he brings his skill, knowledge, contacts, money, and then he utilizes the debt tools that I work with that should have been used from the beginning. You see what I'm saying? It, and not every situation is the same. And and I'm talking about I typically work with sub ten million. And Scott is much bigger deals and, you know. Scott doesn't get up for anything less than 100. I, 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 no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, gentlemen, I want to wrap this up. I've, I've enjoyed this. Tom Claussen, True Viking Finance, and Scott Sinclair of Sinclair Range. Gentlemen, it, it's been a real pleasure to do this. Thank you for your time. Well done, Corey. Talk to you later, Thank Scott. Thank you. Good to see you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.